What's up, everybody? I'm Dr. Peter Bolden. And I'm Dr. Craig Spodek, and you're listening to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. Simply the best podcast in dentistry designed to help you maximize your practice and your life through four pillars of success. Leadership, team culture, marketing, and financial freedom, and everything in between. Now, let's get to it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. You know, I always say addition, Craig, by the way. Isn't it episode? It should be episode. Yeah, but you start saying addition, so I say ep- I say it with you. I know. Kind of like I just follow whatever you say. Because I'm the leader? Is that what you're saying? No, I mean, just, you know, you started the podcast before I joined, so whatever you say is just going oh, okay. to happen. Well, today I'm feeling really smart, and I'm sitting here in, in glasses, my blue blocking glasses per, per Jarek Robbins, um, and... Uh, and Craig, I'm, I'm giving the illusions that I'm probably the smart guy, right? Yep, it, yep, looks looks to be so. Right, you play the part, right? When you can't make it, or just fake it until you can make it. Um, yeah, either put on glasses or a British accent. British accents work really well too. You can say whatever the hell you want, and a British accent sounds a lot better. But speaking of smart, there's something I was reading uh, recently about, you know, you, you hear the expression, if you're the smartest guy in the room, or smartest gal in the room, or smartest person in the room, it's it's probably time to get out of that room. Um, would you agree with that? A hundred percent. It's a hundred percent true. Yeah, and you and you hear of this, um, you know, and, and I think this applies a lot in dentistry. I think as dentists, we are guilty of that because the environment we're in, we become after we graduate. Typically, we think or we feel or whatever. I have the doctor title. I'm in this room full of of people who I employ, and now I'm the smartest guy in the practice, smartest guy in the room. And that may or may not be true, but sometimes, sometimes, you know, you can't be good. You can't be strong across all facets of, of what, you know, can't be the best business person, can't be the best dentist, can't be the best ground prep, you know, can't be the best manager. Like, so I think it's a dangerous proposition that we get boosted up in our practices the way we do. Yeah. Um, Think about just the dynamic of, you know, you've got one doctor typically, mm -hmm. and then, you know, Typically, many people who have just been in dentistry right out of high school, uh, a lot of people, even office managers, work in dental environments and they move their way up. So um, we have uh, typically people that are highly educated and, and very well trained, but we don't, they don't have the title. They don't have doctor or PhD or degree in organizational management or whatever. So, And that's a scary, you just brought up something, that's a scary proposition, right? Just because now everyone looks to you because you're quote unquote the doctor. Let's just say right. you're a new grad, but you don't have the, you don't have the life skill set to know. And you don't want to say like, I don't know, right? Because right. That's scary. You don't want people to think that you don't, you know, going back to my comment, I didn't know this would play into it, but like, make it to you, fake it, right? Sometimes you, you have to just step up and you don't even know if you're right or wrong, but that's freaking scary, right? And, and just because you want to, just because people have put you in that situation, you don't feel as though you can almost like let them down. So you almost, almost an answer is, is sometimes wrong. Yeah, but being saying you don't know is it, like you said, it's very scary. So, uh, and 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 I think that's a really important thing when you get out of when you get out of school. There is a lot of you don't know. You know, in most cases, you really don't know what the hell's going on. So you have to you have to just be in a position where you say things that you don't really know about or answer questions you don't even know about. You've always been pretty good at at you know dropping your ego and recognizing your strengths and weaknesses. I think I've probably had a harder time of acknowledging that. 
And I can say that, I mean, ever since I've known you, at least, you know, you're very humble with what you do, but you're also very confident with where you know your, your superpower is. Um, I can say without fail, though, that the second I decided to get my ego in check and just recognize, like, either I don't want to do this or I'm not good at these kind of things, my practice went, my practice and my operation went to a whole new level, right? I used to think, like, I was the best guy for everything, whether that was putting TVs up in the ceiling or cleaning out this or you know, I was, you know, answering, here's how you would answer the phone because I know, cause I'm the doctor, like every aspect I had, I was the chokehold of the practice. And the second I was like, you know what? I suck at this and I hate this. So I'm going to start hiring for strength or letting people just have autonomy with that and get the hell out of the way. Stay in yeah. my damn lane, my micro lane, you know? Um, and I think it's, it's an, it's an evolutionary process though, Pete, just so people can have some freedom. It's, you've got to, at first you, you, there's things you like and there's things you don't like. And sometimes you have to do the things you don't like because you, you're required to, you know, when your operations are small, you really have to do it all. And there needs to be certain inflection points in your career where you say, okay, I like doing this, but I'm actually not really good at it. Yeah. Or I don't like doing this, and I, but I'm good at it. Or, you know, you got you to gotta constantly be evaluating where you're at. No, you, I don't you think bring people up don't a good do- point. You bring up a very excellent point about like there's different points in your career, right? Because in the beginning, I had way more time than I had money, right? And I was capable of installing fountains and doing stuff like that and working at night because I didn't have kids or family or whatever. And I was the cheapest labor that I knew of. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was exhausting, but you're right. I guess it applies at different, different things. But I mean, even hiring Kim, you know, you know, Kim and I, you know, she's my personal assistant and she, it was one of the things that really helped, um, you know, once you can kind of free yourself up and get things off of your plate, like she's excellent at organizational uh, efficiencies and stuff. And I thought I was good and like, I'm horrible at it. Right. So I, I, but I was questioning even hiring. I can remember having the conversation with her being like, well, I don't know what I'm going to, I don't know what you're going to do. You know, <laughs> yeah. I don't know what you're going to do in my life. Right. Um, and the interesting is now Kim has, as as a Kim, um, because it just opens up. It's a paradigm shift when you can start living in your strengths and hiring for your weaknesses. It, it, it's really, it, it's really important. I just want to just kind of double down on this because it's a superficial com. It's a com- comment that's a little cliched and I'm, it could be misinterpreted. I want people to really think about that for a second. You, you just, you, you, we have a myopic focus as human beings. We, we do what we do on a daily basis and we live our lives in such a way that we never really examine what we're doing because we just do it. And so my dad's a perfect example of it. Like he is incredibly frugal because he's a, he's a product of the post depression generation. His family lived through a time when there wasn't food and shit like that. So he is so frugal that he will like literally put his own hurricane shutters up. My dad's 78 years old. I'm like, dad, what the fuck are you doing? You're going to hurt yourself. Like you can't do this. And he has the money and, and, it's just that he's he's not taking those points, inflection points in his life to say, okay, what's my highest and best use now? What's my highest and best use now? And and life is a creative process. You have to constantly be reexamining what your purpose, your drive, and your your motive is. It's funny you break that down, right? That right? Like technically, your dad shouldn't be able to afford to be able to put up the shutters because his his highest and best use as a clinician, right, is way higher than the cost it would it would be for someone to put up shutters. Right. It'd be, By a factor it'd be of 100 10. bucks. Yeah, it'd be a hundred bucks. Right. 
Um, and that is crazy. I mean, and you know, my, my dad's kind of the same way. Um, especially I think, you know, my dad's been retired. So I think you even get to a more of a scarcity mindset, you know, when, when there's not inflow and, and that's fair. I'm not busting on him. He lived abundantly forever, but I think you get into that, that mindset of like, well, I'm the best person. I'm just going to do this. Um, and there, and you know, and actually there's some, I, that is very admirable. Now that I think of it, like your dad just saying like, you know what, I'm going to do it. I think it's cool. Well, it's cool, but there's a lot, you know, uh, a very well-known artist that I happen to be friends with um, who's, who's like literally in MoMA and Guggenheim and expe- uh, expeditions in those museums was sweeping leaves. He's like 78 years old. He was sweeping leaves off of his roof and fell and was almost a quadriplegic. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? Sweet. He's 78 years old. He's up on his roof sweeping leaves. But you that, got that same gum. I'm going back to your dad for a second. The same gumption that we're busting on, you're saying about your dad, you got that same desire and gumption. I can do attitude from him, just like I did my father, right? Like, okay. yeah, I know. And I don't want to go off the, the, the maybe there's a poor choice, a poor example, because we're using an example of something I can do it. But there's also like, you, you have to like, sometimes I'm doing something and you do this all the time as well, Pete, where you're like, why the hell am I doing this shit? Yeah. And a light bulb goes off and it's like, I don't know. I, cause I always, that's what I did last year. And that's what I did the year before. And maybe it's a poor example of, you know, our old men, you know, our dads rolling up their sleeves and getting in it. That's pretty cool. But they're the, like for me, whenever I have open time in my schedule, like if there's a meeting that gets canceled, my knee jerk reaction, Pete, is open it up for patience immediately. It just come rolls out of my mouth because that's what I said 15 years ago. Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden I'm super freaking busy and I can't talk to you about a business project we're working on or I can't do this or I can't go see my son at school or, or, or play baseball. So there's just, there's an automatic that we have and the automatic response and behavior and understanding of ourselves has to evolve over time. That's all it is. So, you know, it used to be that you were so busy, you were so slow, you took every insurance on the, on the face of the earth. And now all of a sudden you have fee for service and insurance patients waiting 10 weeks to see you. Mm-hmm. That is not a good automatic to be running of the scarcity. I'm going to go out of business if I don't sign up on 15 dental plans. And I see a lot of dentists like, you know, I can't fit new patients in and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, you're on 15 PPOs. Yeah, I really should do that. I, you know, I talked about that like three or four years ago. I'm like, why didn't you do it? Well, the, the, the plant down the street closed. I was worried it was going to hurt business. I'm like, did it? No, it didn't. But we only examine, we go deep and then we, 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 we take all these assumptions and then we're like, this is how I'm going to roll. I'm going to be an insurance dentist. Or I'm going to do this. I'm going to do clinical dentistry. And we never reevaluate. We never come back to the 30,000 foot view and reevaluate our motives. That's why, you know, I love what you're saying too, because I think dentists have, some of them talk to each other, like with that one you just mentioned talking to you and you threw it back in their face, like, where's the accountability? And I think that's where like, I love the fact that I think all dentists should be either in a mastermind or a group of people who hold you accountable because we live in this environment where, you know, you're the boss typically. And people, it's like, okay, whatever you think, doc, like your way is the best way because you write my paycheck kind of thing. And I think that sucks the desire for growth out of the room. If you already feel you're the smartest and people are treating you as the smartest and all these things, like your growth, your, your growth and your desire for growth gets eviscerated, evaporated. And that's a dangerous place to be. So you need to surround yourself by like, as Jim Rohn says, the average of the five people, right? You, you know, if you hang yeah. out with, if you hang out with four smokers, you know, you're, you're more than likely going to be the fifth. And hang out with four and, yeah. 
it's so important. This is so important because listen, a lot of these guys are listening to the podcast and, and you and I have the same conversations, Pete, where like we have these friends from college or high school and like you kind of feel a little bit, I don't know, maybe elitist guilty. or guilty, like, you know, to say that certain friends are not evolving and, and now you're cutting them out or you're spending less time with it. I'm not saying to be judgmental, but be discerning with who you spend your time with because it will, it will show up that way. And, and by the way, social groups, um, social media groups. I go on certain dental chat rooms and I have to get the hell off because it's just a negativity fest of just people cutting each other down. There's so much negativity. I mean, people feel pretty freaking powerful behind a keyboard. Yeah, really, yeah. they torch each other. They're like, yeah, your results suck and I wouldn't do that. And then they're disparaging each other and they're complaining about insurance companies, how dentistry's over because of this company and that company and this, you know, we got Smile Direct, we got Bliss and that. And then it's such a defeatist attitude. It's like, fuck, you totally feel hopeless. If that's the narrative that you're listening to, if you're getting on social media and dental chat rooms for an hour a day, that is your five people you're hanging out with. And how are you going to exceed that? Finally, the Bulletproof Practice Book is out on Amazon. Craig and I have distilled down our experiences in dentistry over the past 20 years in our true-to-form, unfiltered fashion that y'all have come to expect from our podcast. We talk about our victories and our bruises, and it's 132 pages of vision, leadership, marketing, and even just life as a dentist, and it's meant to entertain you. So we hope you'll support us and grab a copy on Amazon today. Thanks, friends. Check this out. I was reading something. Um, you know, I was actually doing research for our podcasts because that's what I do. I'm a researcher. I don't. I, and uh, you're more of a, yeah. You, but you're a spontaneous guy. I'm a prepper. Prepper. Yeah, James Day prepper. You should see my all of the food I have behind my couch right here, just in case. Yeah, really? Guns. What? And Hormel. Hormel. No, no. Twenty year food, right? Your, your wife likes to remember when I went to your house and she got that Hormel microwave bacon that could probably have a 50 year shelf life I bet <laughs> she does that's a that's a daily thing my, <laughs> I, my wife lives on bacon and peanut butter that's about it that's well about she grew it. up in uh philadelphia mississippi right correct very different from philadelphia the liberty city correct very different <laughs> oh the city of brotherly love actually brotherly love i'm sorry go ahead i'm sorry want to hear about my study yes please I'm studying so literally so this is going back to you know show me your friends and I'll show you your future kind of thing. Right. And so they did a study on happiness and what, what they found is that two research found that happy friends make you happier. No surprise there. Right. But if a friend of a friend is happier with their their life, then you actually have a 6% greater likelihood of being happy yourself. Meaning say that one more time. Okay. If a friend of a friend of a friend is happy with their life and you have a 6% greater likelihood of being happy yourself, basically saying that, that it's a contagious thing that will flow up to you. Now, 6% might not seem much, but consider other studies that suggest if I gave you a $10,000 raise, it would only trigger about a 2% increase in your happiness. So your friends are really about your future and the people that you, that you surround yourself are really about the future. So if you're quote unquote, if you're, if you're set point, you know, how you always talk about set points. So if your set point is your, you know, I'm a little grumpy all the time, then seek happy, right? So this goes back to hiring for your weaknesses and maybe surrounding yourself by, by what you feel you're deficient, in, right? Sometimes I feel like my set points about five. Therefore I go to, I, you know, I gravitate to people like yourself who are always, you know, I'm happy and um, I'm optimistic. Right. And I've identified that. Um, I know I'm kind of all over the place with this. No, you're, you're, for me, it's very relevant. But I think it's, I think, I think it's one of those things you have to audit, not only audit the, the five people that are collectively 
you know, uh, what am I trying to say directing the course of your life and then, and then audit, like, are you happy with that progress? Are you happy with that speed? Are you happy where it's going? And if not making hard choices, um, and yeah, also funny too, I want to put in a note that's it. Well, go ahead, Pete. And I was going to say, and also, to- also one thing I've noticed that, that you have done too, in, in order for growth is you have, you have literally employed people to say, when I screw up, when I do this, when I do something wrong or like literally you need to bust my ass for it without, without repercussion. You know, I'm speaking, thinking of Erica, like I've seen her come down on you. Whereas most dentists um, would have, would have possibly fired that person for being, you know, quote unquote, stepping out of line, but you have given it, made it a safe place for people to say, Hey doc, you're kind of screwing up or Hey doc, that wasn't very nice the way you talked to that person or Hey doc. Right. You, and, and I think that inspires growth in your own ecosystem. Thank you. I think it's twofold though. I, I appreciate that. I do tell my team, you know, like even Michelle, my clinical assistant is constantly like, Hey, your energy seems off. Are you okay? What's wrong with you? I'm like, I'm fine. She's like, no, you're not. I'm like, so it's, there's the conscious and unconscious leadership consciously. I think I'm fine, but unconsciously I'm upset. Maybe a fight I had with a, uh, an argument with a patient or maybe my, my spouse or something, but I'm carrying that forward. And I recognize that my energy, you know, what do they say? 80% of communication is nonverbal. So even though I'm outwardly like, everything's great. Yeah. Move on. Let's do it unconsciously I'm sending out, I'm hurt, I'm upset, blah, blah, blah. So she checks my state and I'll go in and do whatever I have to do, you know, you know, just get my, my state, my physiology and my beliefs kind of centered and right for that. Um, and uh, I've got so many things to talk about right now, but uh, one of the things is that you, to have that emotional intelligence and to say, Hey, it's okay. Let me know when I'm not screwing, when I'm screwing up. Yep. That's because I value results and I don't, I value progress and results and progress is actually linked to happiness as well. The one thing that people most frequently cite as making them happy is progress. Even if it's small, even if it's just a little tiny bit, progress equals happiness. Whether it's learning a new sport, learning a language, getting better in in your clinical practice. When you don't have progress, any progress whatsoever, people equate that as being um, frustrating and leading to less happiness. Um, And then I think paired with that emotional intelligence is a high esteem for yourself. You have to have them both. So if you're looking for approval, and I speak from experience, if you're looking for approval and you're looking for people to like you at the same time as them guiding you, it's, I can think that that could sometimes be a recipe for disaster. What I'm trying to say is that if you say, hey, let me know when I'm screwing up and you have to like me the whole time. I don't really, I'm getting over this whole, I need to be liked. I'm, I'm confident enough in what I bring to my relationships and the people around me. I'm not perfect. I don't pretend to be, but I think I I'm getting to the point now where I'm like, you, you're lucky if you're in my circle and you're, you're, I'm lucky to have you as my friend and you're lucky to have me as your friend. So that's a self-esteem thing as well. I'm reading into, so we're, we're having one of my favorite guests. I'm starstruck on um, coming up soon in, in about two weeks on the podcast. I'm looking at his Instagram and the fact that you just said this. And one of the quotes he has is here's how to get everyone to love you. Ready? Five steps. Do nothing. Say nothing. Don't push the envelope. Stay under the radar. Be low key. Here's what happens if you decide to do something big. You get new enemies, new rumors, new problems. Are you okay with that? Yeah. It's so true. Yeah. Dogs bark at what they don't understand. Human (laughs) beings are the same exact way. It's so true. I mean, and people are going to get you wrong. And I mean, look at what's going on right now, man, more than ever. I mean, it used to be that if you were the man or the woman in the public eye, that you were kind of immune. Now it's like, you know, geez, you, people are getting torn down left and right. 
there's a whole cancel culture and victim mentality. And I think it's, you know, who suffers is those who, who, who identify as victims, whatever your victim ideology is, that's, that's would be the worst thing that could happen to a, a person is to tell someone that they're hopeless or they're helpless and that, that the system is geared against them. That's the greatest travesty that they, that they could put in a child. I tell my kids all the time, your narrative is going to, you know, my daughter last night, we were at the, we were at the beach and this kid took her food and I'm like, she's like, I can't believe he did that to me. Like, he did nothing to you. You're going to meet people all the time. Like you're going to meet a ton of these types of people. Like I always say, like if someone's like, oh, you know, John's an, an asshole. I'm always like, you're going to meet a million Johns. They're going to be called Emily's and John's and Becky's. And I mean, it's these people, the, the one commonality in these uber successful people is they don't get into victim mentality. They don't play the victim card. I mean, even Oprah, look at if Oprah was born today, I mean, that woman, I, I think I, I don't want to get my facts skewed here. So help me if I'm speaking the truth here, but I, I believe she was the victim of sexual assault yeah. or I mean, yeah, gnarly. gnarly child. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, terrible, terrible things, ungodly things. Just, I, I would pray that no one has to endure what she had to endure. Uh, and I, thank God I never did. I never went through those depths but of it struggle. Did define her. That's why we both don't it know if that's did really define true. her though. It did define her in the, okay. in the victory way. She wasn't a victim. She became a victor over it. So she had that chip on her shoulder saying like, this is my card and I'm not going to let the final chapter be written that way. So, so, let's, so that, it, that's, but by when I want to tie that in, Pete, I'm sorry to jump on you. I had a lot of coffee. That's part of your circle too. So your circle, like I've got this awesome friend, John, who I was talking about. Um, and John, you know, everything that goes wrong in life, and he's massively successful, massively successful. Everything that goes wrong is, is looked at in a very light way. Like we were traveling together and the plans got screwed up and we had a rental car and it didn't work. And he's just like, let the adventure continue. Let the adventure continue. And then I'm, he's like, and he'll say things to me like, this is not a bad day. And the reason why he says that is because he knows he had a bad day, mm-hmm. got diagnosed with cancer when he's about our age and his doctor told him, get your affairs in order. And he, at that point realized he was a hotheaded guy and he realized that he's going to be gone and he beat it. So he has the context of what a really bad day is. And most of us, you know, knock on wood, me included, I don't really know what a really bad day is. Thank God. And I don't think, Pete, you actually know what a really bad day is. We've been pretty blessed. I mean, a really, really bad day like that yeah. can set your life straight. And, uh, so what would you say, though? I'm, I'm going to let you wrap it because I'm, I'm gonna, we're going to keep, keep this podcast shorter because it's just you and I rapping. So if you, were, if you were possibly the smartest guy or gal in the room, what would your advice be as, a, as our colleagues? What would your oh, advice be to them? Mine is get the hell out of that room. Get out of that room, man. Get out of the room. What if, what if that room is one that you've created intentionally? Well, listen, I I guess it's proportions. You know, it's good to have, uh, and again, I I think I read this somewhere, so I want to take this as my own, Pete. Maybe you you and I have talked about this before, but like if you got a random sampling of 10 friends, two or three should be guys trying to pull up, you know, or or gals. I I say guys, but I mean that in a colloquial sense of gal people. You got 10 friends, give give three or four of them your time and energy and try to pull them up, you know. And and as long as they're trying and making progress and not trying to pull you back down, that's cool. Mm -hmm. But two or three should be aspirational people that got it all squared away. For me to be my close friend, 
I'm going to be pretty discerning. I got to agree with your values. So if you're doing weird stuff and you're living in amoral or not, if your values aren't in line with mine, I really don't want to hang with you. And then you got to have good relationships around you. I don't want to have a friend that's always bitching about his wife and the ball and chain or is bitching about their husband. Like, I don't want that in my life because that'll be the norm for me as well. And then maybe a couple friends are right in line with you. So either they're not really ahead or behind you. But um, I think that's important to have, you know, a full segment of that. So my, so you went kind of a down a different route. I would, I would say an advice to someone in my opinion would be if you feel like you're the, if, if, if anything that we've spoken of you is resonating, like, yeah, I might be in that situation. I would, I would sit down. I would write down the three things that you want to do. You would want to do now until, and they light you up by you thinking about them. You would want to do them now until you're 65, right? Meaning, you know, I love doing Invisalign only. I want to do that. And I love, uh, I love doing payroll just hypothetically. And I love, right. So identify the things that you love doing because you're probably better than anyone else at them. And if they light you up, it's going to give you fulfillment and energy to kind of continue on being the best at that. But don't look at, you know, and it might not be that you can extricate yourself from, from the stuff you, your weaknesses right away. Like we alluded to who knows where you are in the life cycle, but it, it's a cool goal and a cool growth thing to say, Hey, by this time next year, you know, I never want to do any marketing ever again. Cause I hate it. I hate talking about Google ads. I hate doing this. I hate, whatever it is that you hate doing reverse engineer your way out of it and hire for your strengths. I'm sorry, hire for your weaknesses or your hates and play to your strengths and double down on the things that you love doing, because that's when I think you're going to 2X and 3X your income and your happiness. And by the way, if it doesn't 2X your income or happiness, there's no shame in going back. I think being less certain is also a good thing. So it's like, I really don't like doing this type of dentistry, but possibly one of the reasons why they, why you don't like it is because someone told you along the way, like, Oh, you're, you're in clinical. Oh, you only have one office. And like you hijack that person's narrative and now that's your narrative. So as human beings, we, we don't really know ourselves, all of us, we don't understand what makes us tick. So try different things as it makes you as, as a learning process. It's a creative discovery and learning process to find out what's going to make you happiness. If you try one thing on, you try it for a little while, go the other way. You know, I mean, take off a day at a clinical and if that doesn't make you happy because now your spouse is you doing a honeydew list or a, <laughs> something like that, you can always go back. You can make subtle course corrections in your, in your own journey. I got to go, Craig, but, but be bold today, buddy. Be brave and be bulletproof. boy. Uh, Over and out, everybody. You. Take care, people. Thanks for listening to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this episode. Please rate and review us on iTunes or your favorite podcast source. Check out BulletproofDentalPractice.com for video interviews and text BULLETPROOF to 345-345 to stay connected to us for special announcements. Have a great day.